We're going to read from 3 John, verse 2. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful to gather in your church. God, we pray, God, that you uh, will speak to us. You will open our heart, our minds, God, to, to, to hear your word, to respond to your word. God, help us to live a life that is glorified to you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, when my only daughter, our middle child, was in school, she was in grade school at a Christian school, and the teacher asked him, hey, what's your favorite holiday? And Haley said, Halloween. I was kind of hoping as a pastor's kid she would go with Christmas or Easter, but it is what it is. That same daughter is now in college, and she had Mama come up to Parents Weekend, and uh, Susan hit the dance floor up there at a sorority house and had her picture taken with Tanner Allen, college baseball player of the year. Uh, I think Haley made you do that, I'm hoping. I can't let her go. I can't let her out of my sight, I'm telling you what. Um, anyway, hey, great day. Always a good day to be invited here, and I'm always particularly uh, excited to invite you when we began a new series. And this is the title of our new series. We haven't done a big marketing strategy, but here it is, Your Future Self Will Thank You. We're going to get you, we're hoping to get you to think of your life in terms of reducing regret. I don't know that we can eliminate them, but we all live with some degree of regret. I was listening to Sinatra uh, this week, and he sings, I did it my way. And that's a great song, but really a terrible philosophy to live. But, you know, I did it my way and no regrets and everything. We all have regrets, but here's a central question. Since we can't go back in time, because you probably have that thing or things that you wish you could go back and do differently, I sure do. So since time travel doesn't exist yet, here's a question that you could ask, and this will frame our time together. In fact, it'll frame our whole series if you want to jot it down or take a picture of it. Here it is. What values can I embrace today that will cause my future self to say I wouldn't change a thing? In these weeks, we're going to talk about the relationships that we choose, the money that we manage, the temptations that we resist, the compassion that we demonstrate. And today we're going to talk about uh, the devotion that we live with, the spiritual devotion to God. I was talking to a doctor friend this week and asked him, what's the number one reason, and I'm pretty terrible myself, what's the number one reason people don't come see you, that people don't visit the doctor? And what's the answer? Bad news, uh, the fear of bad news, which, you know, begs the question, is it better to go and get the bad news or just not to know the bad news? And there are, there are physical vital signs uh, related to health and well-being. Doctors will tell you, here's four that are central. Your, uh, your temperature, your pulse, your breathing, and your blood pressure. And the idea is to know about this and to monitor it so you can do as much as possible about it. Uh, some of us act like there's an artery fairy that will come unclog our arteries at night. We have to alter some things and change some things that we do. And just, listen, how important is it 
physically. We got doctors in the house. They could be shouting amen now, but we, we neglect. But it's so important physically and all the more important to your spiritual well-being. I want to do something today. I want us to look at a passage now Chris read from 3 John. You John know 3 John was in there. It's tucked in the back, just one chapter. He read from 3 John. We're going to get there in a minute. But I want to frame today's message when we talk, as we talk about spiritual devotion uh, I want to frame it with Acts 2.42. And just as physically there's temperature and uh, blood pressure and breathing and pulse, there are four, uh, four signs of spiritual vitality. These are four characteristics that were demonstrated by the very first followers of Jesus, which history tells us were quite impactful. So Acts 2.42, it's on the screen. He says, it says that they were devoted, these early followers, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. So there are four. Let's walk through them today. And here's what I want to do. I want you to evaluate. As we go, I would like for you to think of your life in, with honest assessment. And what I'm going to do today, you notice here it says that they devoted themselves. The opposite of devoting yourself is to dabble in something. When you're devoted to something, you think about it. You're committed to it. You sacrifice for it. Uh, you do it with all of your heart and you do it with joy. You, you don't want to miss doing it. Whatever that is for you, uh, whatever you do those things for, that's what you're devoted to. So each of these four spiritual vital signs, I want to ask you if you're dabbling or devoted. So the first is this. The first is the teaching. Teaching, the apostles' teaching was what they were committed to, devoted to. So the question, am I meeting God in the Bible? It's helped me through the years to think of the Bible and my approach to it, not so much as a legalistic or mechanical thing, not as a dry drudgery or even something on the other end that I get points for, where I just learn things, but as it, it helped me to think about my life as filling my mind with great thoughts. So I, I ask you, when you think about filling your mind or you think about great thoughts or great thinking, most of the time in America, we think of a high IQ. We think, okay, I've got this level of intelligence. I have good high thinking. I value my thought life. But think of your thought life more in terms of peace of mind and having your, your mind and your thoughts saturated with joy. How is your thought life and are you filling your mind with great thoughts? On Fridays, I selected 13 men that I know in our church and invited them to participate on Friday mornings for eight weeks, um, early in the morning on Fridays, to, to participate in an eight-week group where we go through John Mark Comer's new book called Live No Lies. And in this book, an early chapter, he asked the question, what is my mind, why is my mind under so much duress? Why do I feel inflicted by the ideologies of our time? Why do I feel the tug of war of desires in my own chest? Why do I keep coming back to self-defeating behavior? Why is there a steady stream of bad news from across the world? Why does injustice rage? Why do I care? And why does it weigh on my mind so heavenly? So heavily. Think of your thoughts and think of the teaching of the Bible and the effect that it can have. Philippians 4.8 gives us a command and it's connected to peace and joy. And it says to think on the things that are right and noble and true and pure and holy. So how are you doing in that area? How can the Bible be used in that regard? 
How does the world suck us in and lie to us with a constant barrage of deceitful messages? Why does it weigh so heavily on you? Why are you experiencing such duress? To think about these early believers, how devoted they were to allowing the Bible, to allowing the scriptures as they knew it at the time to be embedded in their mind. When the Bible is in you, you begin to think about life through its lens and it impacts you. You wake up in the morning and you can think, if you know the Bible, you can think, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. When trouble comes your way and it tempts you to be discontent, you can think, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. When someone gives you an insult, you can think, I can turn the other cheek. When someone cuts you off in traffic, you can say to them, get thee behind me, Satan. Because your mind is filled with scripture, with truth. Our church, you know, uh, celebrated 10 years a couple of months back, and we were at Dueling Hall for the first two and a half years. And then we came over here, and we were so excited because we thought, how cool it's going to be for our church and all that God has for its future to be here in stained glass. You know, they built this in 1948. They added the stained glass in 1966, and nobody builds them like this anymore. So we get to be, as long as God allows, we get to be a church with stained glass. We wouldn't. If we went and started a church, we wouldn't put stained glass in. Anybody know why? It's too expensive and you have to put plastic over it and insure it and all that stuff. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't do it, but we got it. And we were just so excited about the possibilities. But all behind me from first, second, and third floor, there was a lot of darkness and a lot of dingy and just a lot of rooms. And I, 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 and I say this with great respect, but when we came over, there was a church that was dying. And I, I've told people since that it was Jackson's largest storage facility. And up and down, just rooms and rooms and rooms full of keepsakes and collectibles and heirlooms and things that used to mean a lot to people a long time ago, but there was unused space. And it was, in my mind, like a neglected garden that Solomon talks about in Proverbs 24. And we thought about how this space could be used, and we've gotten a taste of, of it being used. On Thursday mornings, hundreds of women come for Bible study fellowship, and Heartfill Academies used our space, and Fellowship of Christian Athletes has regular meetings, and Reclaim Project, and Red Door, and a lot of parachute church ministries and groups are able to use our space and we've been able to think of ways and Woodland Hills helped us before they left of ways to monetize our space and uh, people CDFL pays for parking on the corner on business hours and Seaspire gives us money in the chapel uh, or to put a, a steeple I'm sorry a tower in the steeple up there so that your cell phones can work in this tri-county area and there's ways to monetize and to, to, to think about our building but I, I just had a passion a driving passion to, to make this place an appealing environment, for it to be clean and for it to be noticeable and nothing done with extravagance. We can't afford that, but to, for things to be done with excellence because neat and tidy and clean and organized says it matters. What's happening is important here and you're welcome. Any of you have your homes like that? Any of you really believe in having a welcoming uh, environment? And it's, it's, it's interesting that some of us and I grew up, my mom's an interior designer, so I've been kind of inflicted with this. But like, we want to fill our homes with beautiful, great furnishings. But yet, why would we not want to fill our mind with what would nourish us? So think about this in your life. And let me ask you now, is the word of God embedded in you? We're going to come back to this one after we hit the other three real quick and end on it. But is God's word embedded in your mind? Is the Bible, do you meet God in the Bible? Now, where would you put yourself? If you mark an X on the continuum, are you a, do you dabble or are you devoted? Think about it and jot down your answer, at least in your mind. Second thing here, fellowship. And the question there is, 
Is God transforming my relationships? When the church was born, the times were harsh. When the church was born, people were at each other and there were tremendous needs. And what happens when there's crises? What happens when things aren't going well? What happens when there's persecution? Hard times and difficulty oftentimes cause us to just take care of ourselves and our families. We isolate, we look within, we cocoon a bit. We say, I got to make sure I'm okay. I got to make sure my people are okay. Nothing really wrong with that. But Jesus introduced golden rule living and the early believers, they got it. They understood it. They were prompted by the Holy Spirit and they moved toward people and they welcomed the stranger. They, They brought people in and they loved well. When we are spiritually healthy, we will seek out relationships that are real. Friday morning, we, a few of us, the 13 men began to disperse and all have jobs to go to. A couple, for a couple of them, it's a day off. But about three or four men hung around my door and the donuts and we were talking. And one of the guys said, um, yeah, I didn't share this in the group time. He goes, but for me, my, one of the things that's rolling around in my thoughts that I battle with is comparison, comparison, comparison. And he, t- told with us, he told us a little bit of the reason why. And the, me and the two other guys standing there, we got it. We, we related to him. And when, you're, when the Spirit prompts you, you'll go toward people. You'll go toward people that are real. And you'll, you'll talk about your life. You'll let people in. And when you dabble in fellowship, you occasionally come to church when it's convenient. And you don't get close to anyone. And you don't want to get close to anybody who's real. And a mark of spiritual vitality. Remember physically there's temperature and pulse and breathing and blood pressure. But spiritual vitality, Acts 2.42 tells us that part of that is fellowship. Is that we would move toward realness. A a staff person, I'll protect this person's anonymity. I won't even use pronouns or adjectives to describe them because you may figure it out. But a a staff person came to my office uh, a few days ago and opened the door. And this person knew I was studying. And this person said to me, man, I've been angry this week. I've been angry. And I'm like, angry at who? She's like, angry at the people that I love. And I thought it was important as a pastor, her pastor and friend to say, hey, that happens to us all. We all get angry. But in Ephesians 4, and this is the kicker, Ephesians 4 says this, be angry and don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do not give the devil a foothold. A spiritual healthy sign, a sign of spiritual health and vitality is when you and I have short accounts with each other. You will get angry. And really, honestly, one of the worst ways to deal with anger is to pretend like you're not angry. So get angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. And when the Spirit begins to work, we will fellowship with one another. Are you, do you dabble with this or are you devoted to it? We'll fellowship with one another. We'll move toward realness and we'll keep short accounts. People will see us at our worst. And they will love us and invite us in. So where do you put the X? Fellowship. Am I, am I allowing God or is God transforming my relationships? And by the way, I have a few young friends who are skeptics of the faith. They're trying to figure out their way in this world, trying to figure out the Jesus thing. And you know what they want to know? More than is it true, they want to know, um, does it heal their relationships? Does it help you? And, and that's what the early church had. And they were lit on fire by the Spirit. They were lit on fire 
and there was a realness to them. So do, when it comes to fellowship, is God transforming my relationships? Where are you on the continuum? Do you dabble or are you devoted? Third thing, the third mark of spiritual health and vitality, spiritual vital sign, is the breaking of bread. Kind of an odd phrase. Uh, and the question there I present to you is, am I sharing my life with others? Now, the breaking of the bread and fellowship, we kind of equate it as synonymous or we think it's solely about communion. But the breaking of bread, the connotations there is that, that we share our lives, that we share life with hospitality, we share meals together, but we open up our homes. And that's what they did well. They invited the stranger in. They opened up their homes. And Chris read this passage about your, your I thought that Third John would set the tone for this talk today, that uh, we would wish each other well in our physical health and well-being. Very important. being in a pandemic like this, coming out of a pandemic. Very important to wish each other well with our health, but also that our soul would be doing well. And tucked in the next verse, many of us know, even if you don't know the Bible well, you know that there's that passage that Chris read about, I have no greater joy than know that my children walk in truth. But then after that, what did he read? Verse five. And verse five says, my brothers have been continuing the truth. They've been faithful and they have been treating brother, the sis, sisters, brothers and sisters who are strangers. They've been inviting them in and treating them like family. A health, a, a mark of spiritual vitality is if we are inclusive and loving. And we're not afraid to run a risk of inviting outsiders in to be a part of this. I have a pastor friend out west. I admire him so greatly. And he was telling me the story a couple of weeks ago about um, a few months back. And an elderly woman came to his church. She was in a wheelchair. And she came to his church, and she was elderly, very aged. And you could tell, he could tell that she wasn't doing well. And he bent down to her after church that day and spoke to her. And he asked her, you know, what's the current status of your mobility? He was asking her what she needed. And she explained that she, she needs a ramp uh, at her house. And she's been, waiting, she's been waiting on city services to come and build a ramp. And the, my pastor friend asked her, how long are you, have you been waiting? And she said, 18 months. And there were a couple of friends around them in the church, and they overheard that. And you know where this is going. Within seven to ten days, uh, they showed up at her house. They had a ramp built. They checked on other mobile things that she needed. Someone brought her a giant print Bible so that she could read as her eyes are failing. A sign of spiritual vitality is when we, we move toward strangers. We move toward people who have need, and we move toward people... Uh, that aren't like us, and we invite them in, and we share. And the early church, what I loved about the breaking of bread, uh, this fellowship, this teaching, is that they would sell their possessions. If they had a house, they would open it up to people. If they had possessions, they would sell the possessions. Very interesting. I just want to sneak this in there because it's important for me as a leader and for you maybe as a member or an attendee or someone who could be a, a member one day. But they trusted the church. They sold the possessions, and then they brought them to the church. And the church was a conduit to meet needs. And if you came to a membership night, we've had four of them recently. We'll have to offer more as we invite others in. But we talked about this, this very thing of us wanting to steward the resources and be trusted so that you would trust us to give, to become a giver, to have a systematic plan, and that you'd be proud of where your money is going as you trust us with it, as you tithe and as you give offerings over 
and beyond. But that was the first church. So with this, the sharing, the breaking of bread, the sharing of hospitality, the opening of the homes, the selling of possessions, the giving to those in need. Where are you on the continuum? Do you put your X toward the dabble side or to the devoted side? The last sign, the last of four, just as there's temperature and pulse and breathing and blood pressure, there's teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread. And lastly, there's prayer. The question here to ask yourself as you evaluate if you're a dabbler or a doer or dev- devoted doer, am I continually communicating with God? Years, years ago, my wife and I had kind of an ongoing little spat and she was wanting me to, on Monday night, to sit down with her and watch ABC's The Bachelor. And I was unwilling to do this. I would share with her. I said, no, I'm busy. I don't want to. That's your thing. I don't like it. It's abhorrent to a holy God. I offered many excuses as to why I shouldn't watch this. And one day I'm up here at the office and I'm trying to get her to come up to the office so we can go double date with friends uh, to dinner. And she's trying to get me to come home to watch The Bachelor. And she, she told me, she was trying to lure me. She said, oh, Robert, come on. And, you know, last week there was this tender episode and there, there was love and there was connection and everybody thinks she's, you know, she's choosing or he's choosing her, but I think he's gonna go with this one. And she, she tried to to lure me in. I said, I'm not watching The Bachelor. I said, hey, listen, okay, if we conduct an experiment and we recruit 25 young, attractive women, I get to date them all and then eventually choose you, then I'll watch The Bachelor with you. And immediately we lost connection. <laughs> and so I went to dinner and she stayed and watched The Bachelor. And I tried to call her later that night and she changed her voicemail. It says, if, if I'm not available. If this is my husband, I'm really not available. <laughs> Here's what I want to tell you today, that prayer is connection prayer is relationship and we think it's our words we it listen it's really not your words i've been involved it's been one of the joys of my fall to be involved with a group uh, with a local high school and a group of dads who are loving their sons and supporting them there's a lot of activities from pep rallies to lunches to game films and and specifically i've tried to make a lot of the lunches on friday at river hills and every time i go they ask me to pray over the meal every time and when I'm not there one of the other guys who's just as capable as praying as me they'll pray a prayer and then they'll joke with me later where were you today you weren't at the lunch I had to pray it was like a c or a b you know and they assume that I pray a prayers so I was talking to a guy Friday night who said that to me I, I missed the lunch on Friday was at the game Friday night and we were in the end zone we were talking and I thought I'm just going to go ahead and talk to this guy I know he goes to another church I'm just going to talk to him and I said you know you don't have to have me there to pray you can pray just as good of prayers as me. And you know what prayer is? Prayer is not our words. It's, our, it's a relationship. And I, I mentioned, I quoted Psalm 66. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. First uh, Peter 3, I preached this not long ago. Husbands, if you don't live with your wives in an understanding matter, it will hinder your prayer. Prayer ultimately is connection and relationship. Order your life. Orient your heart. Think about it in way of relationship, not the words that you say. And when you get cut off, when you feel disconnected, confess and repent and seek to restore the relationship. Am I continually, and the early church, here's what I want to say to you, I long for this. They were convinced that self-sufficiency and self-reliance was not a good strategy for living. They were convinced that it's empty and hollow to only pray when there's a problem you can't solve and a crisis you can't get out of and in a need that you have. That's not the time to pray. It's a time to pray continually, to have continual, active, ongoing engagement and participation with a God. They were convinced that he exists, that he's real, that he responds, that he's loving, and that he's able. And that's prayer. And if it grips you, you'll move away from dabbling in it to being devoted 
to it. So where are you on that continuum? I promised I would go back to the teaching part because I think it's so foundational. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and 16 says this. This is Paul to Timothy. This is a mentoring relationship. He's thinking of Eunice and Lois, mama and grandmama. Hey, parents, if you want your kids to keep the faith, take them to church and talk about it at home. And here's this reality in Timothy. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now look at these. Quickly, I'm going to break them down. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It goes on to say that the servant of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. In other words, that you would apply it. That you would do the next right thing that God is telling you. So, quickly, teaching. Teaching is when you learn, you learn, you gain knowledge. You do something with it. So are you teachable? You know, you can approach people, other people, and the sacred writings with either supremacy or curiosity. And when you have a posture of supremacy, this lack of humility is not fertile ground for learning. And supremacy kind of folds the arms and rolls the eyes and says, I know these things. But curiosity approaches other people and the sacred writings with what can I learn from you? What can I learn God today from you? Whether it's a new truth that I'm instructed in or something solid that I need to be reminded of. Supremacy or curiosity? Are you teachable? Teaching, being teachable is gaining knowledge. Now it goes on to say that there is reproof. And reproof is when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring the truth of God about my sin and foolishness. And you got it, and I got it. When the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about the truth of God, a truth about my sin and my foolishness. In Proverbs, y'all know I, don't, I, I do not preach prosperity theology. I go out of my way to take shots at it because it's infiltrated American Christianity and it's not healthy and I don't want you to one day deconstruct your faith based on promises that God never made to you. But I will say, sounding like I'm contradicting what I just said, that in James and in Proverbs and other places of the Bible, it does say this, if you're teachable and you receive reproof, that it will prolong your life and lead to, lead to prosperity and peace. We can, we can shorten our lives, we can do stupid things, and it can hurt us and leaves us in a, just a world of pain. But if we would just receive reproof, what a gift that's waiting on you to, to let the Spirit of God take the Word of God and show the truth about your sin and your foolishness. But reproof is not enough. Scripture says there's correction. Correction is when you take the reproof and you tell, hey, here's how to straighten out. Here's how to get out of the ditch, out of the weeds, on the right path. Here's where your feet were headed. Here's where they can be headed. Let's do that. And then there's training in righteousness. Training in righteousness is when you have someone and their heart is ordered rightly and you can go away. You're, you're ready now. Like you want the right things. You, 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 didn't know, you didn't have the knowledge. You didn't have the skill. I imparted it. I showed you how. Then you did something dumb and I showed you that was dumb. But then I showed you how not to do the dumb thing by doing the smart thing. But then now your heart is so into it. You're devoted to it. I can walk away because you've been trained in righteousness. And that's called spiritual maturity. And that's what we desperately need.
And we need boys to become men, by the way. And we need some spiritual leaders. And we need some people to grow into maturity and to be trained in righteousness. All of us need that. And so this is the gift. And so for just a few minutes, I want to I preach something familiar to you if you've been uh, around my teaching. But it really has impacted my life. And I want to invite you into it again. So repetitious for some of you, new for some of you. When I was in high school, I, I learned from a group called the Navigators that there's five ways to intake Scripture. If we're going to experience teaching and correction and reproof or training in righteousness, there's five ways. Don't see this as five activities that you have to squeeze into an already busy life because who has room, who has time for five more things? You don't unless you add, probably subtract five other things, right? But there's five ways to intake the Scripture. To, you hear the Word, you read the Word, you study it, you memorize it, and you meditate on it. Hear the word. Find good teachers. Come to church and open. Come to church often. Come to church regularly. When you can't be here, tune in online. But it's better to be here. And come and sit down front and be ready to take notes. If you don't have anything to take notes, listen to the sermon again and take notes. Hear the word of God. And don't just, if this is your church, don't just hear it from Robert Green. Because there's far better teachers out there. Find others. And can I say this? I said this in our earlier service. I'm concerned about who some of you are listening to. So if you trust me or one of our other pastors, ask us, hey, RG, what do you think? Chris Mixon, what, hey, some of our other ministers, Van and John and Daniel and Mariah and Laura, who, who do, do you trust this person? Are they bringing the truth? And hear God's word. And it's, listen, it's so easy to do because you run, you exercise, you drive, you brush your teeth, you hang out on the couch, you do things, you sit out back and drink wine on the patio. Hear God's word while you're doing those things and read scripture. Here's the thing. Today, there's a screen. There's a screen and everybody's got a screen. Whether you're on Twitter, Instagram, or Metaverse. And the screen, what do you do? You scroll and you skim and you speed read and you multitask. And there's too many doctors in the room for me to get this wrong. But let me just say, there's research that's being done on this. The art of multitasking could actually be damaging to us neurologically. It could. I don't have anything from Harvard, Yale, or Princeton on this that's definitive yet. But there's a lot of smart people showing some early research that says that even the act of just constant multitasking from infancy on could lead to early onset of Alzheimer's. So reading this vanishing art where you read slowly, you read a text, you read a printed page in front of you, is, it's, it's a lost art and it's so desperately needed. And we can do it. Listen, so we hear, we read, we study, we memorize, and we meditate. I made a promise in the first service that I got to keep. Um, but uh, I want to invite you, tomorrow is the first of a month, November 1st, and I want to invite you to memorize a verse a week with me. Would you be willing to do it for the whole year, not just this calendar year, but let's go for a whole year, 50, the next 52 weeks. I want to invite you, I'm going to use our social media and the email, I want to invite you to memorize a, a scripture with me. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago in a service, I gave you a scripture at the beginning of the service. By the end of the service, you had it memorized. See how easy that is? You can do it. Robert, I don't have to... You can do it. Everybody can do it. Write it down. Say it a few times. Take it with you and you can memorize scripture. But let me tell you what really matters. The navigators taught me in high school that hearing and reading and studying is really important and memorizing. But meditating is like the thumb and it kind of holds it together. Well, meditating sounds so distant, doesn't it? I have a friend who, not a close friend, but someone I know sort of in my circle and he's converting to a new religion. And one of the things that he has uh, despised about Christianity is that he, he claims it's a lack of practice-based faith. 
that we're, we just pop in and out and we don't really care and everybody's dabbling and so few people are devoted. And he's looking for peace of mind. Can I just say to you that, that I'm about to share something really important and all of us meditate. I've shared this with some of you before, but when Susan and I were dating, it was 27 years ago and I was, you know, I had hair and I lived in Coral Gables, Florida and she lived in Los Angeles and it was a long distance relationship. That's about as far as you can get in the continental U.S. And we would write letters to each other and I have all the letters. But when she wrote me the letters, I would read the letters and I would reread the letters and I would say to my roommate, Ray Pelletier, he called me Robert Green. I call him Ray Pelletier. Ray Pelletier. Hey, look, I got a letter from Susan. And I would share with him some of the contents of the letter. And I would replay the letter in my mind. What was I doing? Thank you. Meditating. We can talk, church. Talk to me. I was meditating. Imagine you getting an email from a colleague or from a boss or someone in your field and you admire them. And they send you an email and they give you praise for a work you've done or a character quality. That's even better. Or a character quality that you possess. And they email you. What do you do when you receive that email? You read it and delete it. No, you don't. You read it and you reread it. You reread and you may even forward it over. Sometimes I shouldn't confess this, but I'll get an encouraging email from one of y'all and I'll forward it to Susan so that she knows that there, I have some redeeming qualities. True, isn't it true? It's very va- a lot of vainglory there, but God's still working on me to make me what he ought to be, make me what I ought to be. But uh, so, so you, you're, what is that? You're meditating. If you receive harsh criticism from someone and it's angry and full of hateful invective, you read it, you hear it, and what do you do? You replay it in your mind. What are you doing? Say it out loud, church. You are meditating. There's a passage that Eugene Peterson pointed out to me years ago in uh, Isaiah 31.4. And in Isaiah 31.4, it says that the Lord's love for you is like a lion that growls over its prey. We have a, a new dog named Milton, and I try not to talk about him too much but I'm in love with him. And he's sort of office dog. And when you're the boss, you can bring your dog. I don't know how your environment is at work. So I just bring my dog. And Milton has this thing where he'll go in an, in an office um, on the third floor and he'll get a bone. Someone will have to, Chris or someone will reach up and get a bone and give it to Milton. And then dude's gone. Now he has, he's a rescue. So he's got some PTSD. He's not all there mentally. He's very, you know, crazy but sweet so Milton will take this bone y'all seen a dog do this but this is a big building and he'll go on the third floor and Jake uh, our facilities guy who's in the first service he can confirm that I'm telling the truth Jake <laughs> Jake grabbed me just to, I think it was Thursday he goes, he goes RG I found this bone way over by the deaf chapel on the third floor like a, behind this door so what will Milton the little golden retriever do he'll get a bone instead of just munching on it instead of by the way scrolling and speed reading and skimming and multitasking, he'll savor this thing. He takes the bone and he savors it. Now let me go back to Eugene Peterson who talked about Isaiah 31, 4. The same Hebrew word, he taught me this, I'm teaching you. The same Hebrew word that Eugene Peterson, they found is used in Isaiah 31, 4 about the Lord loving you so much. It's like growling, a lion growling. It's the same word. That growl is the same Hebrew word for meditate. We take a truth and we savor it and it's such a great truth 
It's think on these things, Philippians 4, 8. Think on the things that are noble and true and right and pure and holy. Fill your mind with great thoughts. Combat the lies. Live no lies. And the way we're going to do it is to hear the word. If we want the teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, we'll need to hear it, to read it, to memorize. You're going to memorize scripture with me one a week. And we meditate. We learn to meditate. We learn to slow down and take God at his word. So... I've shared this with you before. I get it from Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life. It's transformed me and my own personal disciplines. But when we hear, read, memorize, study, meditate on the word, we can ask nine questions for points of application. Is there a promise to claim, a truth to believe? Is there a sin to confess? Is there an attitude to uh, avoid or to change? Is there an error to avoid? Is there something to pray for? Is there something to praise God for? We ask these questions and, and they, they can change us. They can move us toward application. So quick question before we close. When is the last time? Think about this for real. When is the last time you did something based on a command you learned in Scripture? Because there's the power. There's the spiritual health and vitality. It's not just when you cram your cranium full of knowledge. And we have seminaries that train people, mostly men, to go and fill their cranium and learn the languages and parse the Greek verbs and stand before people like you and make you think that it's about knowledge. And yes, knowledge is power, the prophet Hosea says. You don't have to go to seminary to learn that knowledge is power, but knowledge can puff up. And so here's the way we don't become puffed up. We don't remain in our ignorance, we learn, but the way we... The way that we move away from being puffed up is by applying what we know. And some of us think, oh, I got to, I got to be a missionary. I got to become, I got to give 50% of my income. I've got to do, I got to, I got to reconcile this relationship. And some of you are learning based on the last few sermons we preached. And I told you this, I haven't overpromised you. You do your part of the relationship, but the relationship doesn't always get reconciled because it can be on the other person, but you do your part with me. But what the, the, here's the thing, do the next thing and all around the room, there is a next thing for you. It could be so simple, you're not doing it. Go outside and look up at the stars. Laugh. Relax. Can I say that over somebody today? Some of y'all need to relax. You're killing me. But relax. Give. I, I preach it often because I, I want to preach the whole counsel of God, but man, some of you are missing out on the journey of being a systematic giver to a local church. Learn the faith and joy that comes from at, involving God in your finances. Don't just ask God to help you when you're in a crisis. Ask God to help you be obedient and take the thing that he says that's really clear in his word and live that out. Be obedient. Confess that sin. Join that group. Walk the aisle. Take communion. Get baptized. Call the friend. Go to the DR in the spring. Go to the Delta. Serve with Red Door. Do the next thing that God is prompting you to do. As Lauren and the team make their way up, I want to pray over you and pray over our communion. We're going to squeeze in a couple of songs and a couple of important practices that were given to us by Jesus in the early church. Communion and then tithes and offerings. And if we could, that last, uh, if you could skip back to that last slide, I'm catching you off guard, just quickly in closing these questions. What is the state and health of your soul? How devoted are you to what we've looked at today? Meeting God in the Bible, seeing God transform your relationships, sharing your life with others, continually communicating with God. 
So today you may want to say, you know, I need to, I've been dabbling. And here's the thing about physical health, temperature, pulse, breathing, blood pressure. Every human body has the same destination. Like some of you are young and fit and you're laughing at me being old and wrinkled, but every human body, same, same destination, every human, every physical body, that's just true. But every soul, not so much. Every mind, not so much. Read Paul, Romans 8. Hey, there's a mind that's set on the flesh and there's a mind that's set on the spirit. And the mind that's set on the spirit is life and peace. So would you stand with me? Father, thank you that we can come to the table the teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And we can seek you, seek communion with you, not because of our worthiness or what we have done, but because we are receivers. Uh, To some extent, we're achievers, but our self-sufficiency and self-reliance is hollow and empty. It's no longer a good life strategy. We're not here to boost our self-esteem or compliment ourselves. We're here to come to say we're needy and we need you. And the thing that we have in common, we're all in the same boat. And we need our Savior. So Lord, maybe our confession today is dabbling and dabbling. And I pray that you would move us toward devoted and devoted. thank you for the great truth of the cross and there's freedom in it, there's salvation in it and we thank you Amen You'll be prompted by a leader There'll be uh, their leaders now go into stations uh, one in the balcony with Van and Emily and three down front you'll be prompted uh, in your section to follow the person in front of you so we'll need a leader in every section so if you're a front row person look at the leader in front of you and they'll prompt you but make your way, uh, everyone who's a follower of Jesus. You may say today, hey, there's, there's sin in my life. There's a, there's a skepticism. There's, I'm, I'm just not in. I'm not, I don't know. And I, don't, I don't know why I'm doing this. And this is not about just being like a dead fish swimming downstream. This is you and I thoughtfully filling our mind with this great, noble, pure, and holy thought that we have a Savior who died for us, who lived for us. He has mastered life and conquered death. And the salvation is ours. Let's worship Him.